Good morning and welcome to our daily devotional podcast. Today we observe Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday. The word Maundy comes from the Latin word mandatum, which is a mandate or a command. Maundy Thursday therefore celebrates the command or observes the command of Jesus in John chapter 13 that we love one another as he has loved us, that we also love one another. Monday Thursday is also the evening when we observe the foot washing. We remember how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So let's today, let's instead of reading Matthew, let's turn to the Gospel of John, and we'll look at John chapter thirteen, verse one to five, and then verse twelve to seventeen, and finally verse thirty-four. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, 12 to 17, and 34. Let us pray. Father, we remember the example that Christ showed us at the Last Supper. The last thing that he did, the most important thing, is when he commanded us to love one another, even as he loved us. We pray that this truth will be the anchor and the foundation of our lives. That this commandment to love one another will be so deeply engraved into our hearts that we may find all ways of loving one another. And even the many, many times that we fail to do so, that we will continue to seek your power, to seek your love, to obey this command. Speak to us now, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's stop here for a minute and think of the three truths that I mentioned in verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And verse 4 says, So he got up from the meal, took out his outer clothing, wrapped around, wrapped the towel around his waist, and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. The three truths here. The first was that the, the wheels of evil, of wickedness, had begun to run. The devil had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Evil had started. The devil was beginning to triumph. He had got it all worked out. 
the devil had tempted, had influenced or had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. The devil had also worked in the hearts and the minds of the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, the teachers and the rulers of the synagogue. The devil had worked in the Roman soldiers. The devil had done all his preparation and to the devil then, victory was inevitable. He had started in motion the betrayal, the injustice and the cruelty and the death. There was no escape for Jesus. Jesus would inevitably be arrested and then crucified. The devil had won. But the second truth then comes in the next verse that says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Basically, the devil had not won at all. Jesus had won. He knew from that moment that all power and all authority had been placed under him. While the devil saw the plot working out, Jesus saw his victory and his power coming to fruition. It brings a thought to me that the devil's definition and understanding of victory was that of domination. The stronger one dominates the weaker one. And therefore, the devil had won. The evil had triumphed over good. And the devil was so engrossed in his victory that he failed to see that he had actually lost his fight. Because in the eyes of God, the victory was in the fact that even in the worst of situations, Jesus loved the world, loved those his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. For God, victory meant constant love unending love, that Jesus had loved his own who were in the world and had loved them to the end. The problem with the world is that the devil has inverted or perverted what is success and what is victory. In the eyes of the world, victory is in domination, in control. When you are above your enemy, when you have beaten your enemy and beaten him to the ground, you have won the victory. But in the eyes of God, and what true victory is, is that one continues to love in all circumstances. That one learns to love even in the worst of circumstances, in the most painful of circumstances. And that is what real victory is something that the world has inverted and perverted. Hence, Jesus tells his disciples and tells all of us, the first shall be the last, and the last shall be the first. Those whom we think are right at the bottom actually are right at the top. And those we imagine have had domination and dominion over the others, they're right at the top. In the eyes of God, they are right at the bottom. We need to allow this truth, this truth to come back to us, to understand that in our world, truth has been perverted. That what is 
at the top is now seen as what is in the bottom. What is at the bottom really is what's at the top. That even the losers who have been browbeaten, who have been beaten to the ground, when they hold love in their hearts, they have won everything. Hence Paul also talked about this inversion. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Therefore, all the more I will rejoice in my weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As we did our earlier meditations, I'm sure some of you thought about the great injustice that was done to Jesus. I was furious, I was indignant. I had also experienced something of that sort. One of our members also wrote to me to say that he had experienced something as painful, unjust trials, that false witnesses had spoken against him and had lied against him. And then he was falsely denied what was his right. I'm sure many of you have experienced that too. And here is Paul saying that I would all the more delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Influenced by the devil, influenced by the world, we have failed to recognize what strength really is, what power really is, what victory really is. And we have grown so accustomed to seeing victory as how the devil defines it, of domination, of bullying, of getting above the other. And Paul had to remind the believers again that our weakness is really our strength. Even in the worst of situations, in persecution, in insults, in injustice, where we continue to love, we see Christ having victory in these situations. That's the first irony, that even as the devil had done all his calculations and had virtually won the battle, he failed to see that God had actually won that all things had been placed under the power of Jesus, that Jesus had come from God and Jesus was returning to God. Let's take heart and learn this lesson. The greatest will be the least among you, and the least among you will be the greatest. The second irony then comes in this, that Jesus having known that God had placed everything under his power and that he was going back to the Father. What was the first thing that he did? What is the first thing that we would do if we knew that we were victors, that we were anointed kings? It was like the coronation of Jesus. Even though he wasn't crowned yet, he still had to die. But it was almost like a coronation of Jesus. His victory was certain. We would perhaps have celebrated, maybe even allowed people to bow before us. But when Jesus realized that all things had been put under his power, he knelt before his disciples and he washed their feet. The 
irony of all of this is that the greatest of all power was that of serving those he was placed over. Jesus did this. And I'm sure that this truth was deliberate. The juxtaposition of these two statements was deliberate. That after Jesus had discovered or had realized that he had all things under his power, he took a towel, he took a basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. And so let's now read verses 12 to 17. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Feet washing was the lowest, the most menial of tasks. When guests walked into the house, the slave, the lowest of the slaves, would then wash the feet of his disciples. But there were no slaves, no servants at this place at the Last Supper. Jesus had gotten the room and all that were present were himself and his twelve disciples. And so as they entered the room, the disciples would have looked around awkwardly, wondering who would wash whose feet. No one was going to wash each other's feet because that was a sign of inferiority, that was a sign that he was below the others. And no one was prepared to do the lower job until Jesus took the basin and the towel and washed their feet. The disciples in the future, whenever they enter the room, would always have the image of their master going to them, washing their feet. No longer could they wait and expect someone else to wash their feet. No longer could they look at another disciple and think, well, actually he's lower than me. He should wash my feet. Because each time they enter the room, they would have the image of their master and their teacher, the one who was ahead of them, the one who was their leader, washing their feet. What a powerful image and memory that was. That the teacher and the Lord and the master would wash the feet of his disciples. In our day too, we constantly look for the packing order, who calls the shots, who serves the other. And often it is so natural that the so-called lower would serve the ones who are higher. But when we carry with us the thought that it is the Lord and the Master who washed our feet, then no longer can we look at the pecking order anymore. Rather, we ask ourselves, what does it mean then to be of service to another? Because my master did this for me. These days, of course, we don't wash each other's feet. We can jolly well wash our own feet. 
But we, there are mundane tasks, and there are cleaning up things, there are lowly tasks that could be undertaken to help another and to minister to the other. Of course, the CEO cannot always be sweeping the floor because if he were to do that, he wouldn't have time to, time to make his decisions. And eventually, he would be paid a uh, cleaner's salary. He would fail. I mean, basically, his business would fail. But it is the attitude. The attitude of realizing that you're not above the ones who are supposed to be below you. That though you have your role, and they have their role, it is merely a difference in role. And whenever you have time, you've got to do the lowest job. That also has to do with our mates. That's probably the most common thing. When our mates are overladen with work, horribly burdened with much work, perhaps we who have more time instead of lounging around and still expecting our mate to do every single bit and washing our cups and doing everything, what about if we chipped in and helped? Or for traditional families, when the wife is slaving away, maybe the husband could chip in and help as well. Equivalent of feet washing? Throw the garbage. Wash the dishes. Clean the floor. Wash the toilet. Any of these things that we could undertake because we see our master doing the same. Let's see Roles, role differentiation as simply role differentiation. I cannot, having so many responsibilities, simply do a cleaner's job. But when I have the time, then no cleaner's job, whether it is cleaning the toilet or washing dishes or the floor, should be beneath me. Because it is not a status thing. My master did the lowest of the things for our sake. And now we come to verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It is one of the toughest things to do. And definitely we can't do it ourselves, we need divine help. But it's one thing to know that we can't do it and yet want to do it and depend on God to change us day by day. It's a totally different thing when we ignore this command altogether. So often in our churches, we look for many things. We look for church growth, which is important. We look for ministry, which is important too. We look to do many, many things. What we need to be reminded of is that the world sees a disciple of Christ when they see each of us loving one another. That doesn't mean that they will see many Christians who don't love another. We fight over many things and we are growing and we may be a rich church or a big church or a successful church or a great ministry church. We could be a lot of things. But if we were did not love one another, then we are simply groups of people doing many, many things. We are not disciples of Jesus Christ. And either the world will not recognize us as such, or if they thought that we were, 
disciples of Christ, they would be so badly misled, thinking that a church that is warring, that members would back backbite each other, would stab each other in the back, and still do lots of things, have the best worship, have the best sermons. If people thought that that was being Christian, it would be a gross, misleading misrepresentation of the gospel. Because what Jesus wants the world to see is the gospel in action, which is that his followers love one another. So I want us all, myself, each of us, to keep praying and saying, God, I can't do it. Certainly I can't. There are lots of people I still can't stand and much less love. But God, teach us, each of us, how to love. And so one homework for all of you, since now we are into visualizing and memorizing, would you like to memorize this verse and bring it everywhere and ask God this, these two questions? First is a question, God, how do I love my brethren? Second, quest, second one is more request and a plea. God, help me to love my brethren. And so we memorize this verse. A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Will you memorize this verse? Bring it with you everywhere. Ask God to help you to make this real in your life. That the Holy Spirit will empower you, will transform you. That in time, it may be many, many years from now, but in time, each of us will grow to be people who indeed reflect Christ and can be seen as the disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, teach us the principles of your kingdom. These principles are so difficult to follow. How do we serve one another? How do we do the lowest jobs that we may minister to another who may be tired, may be just exhausted? Help us, Lord, to minister to one another in the simplest and most mundane ways, taking from them the tasks that are onerous that weigh them down, that we might indeed be a blessing to one another. The Father, teach us also how to love one another. We know how hard it is. Just looking around, we, we see people whom we do not like, we see people who irritate us, annoy us, sometimes enrage, make, make us enraged even. And God, you say that we should love them as you have loved us. And that this will be a mark to all that we are your disciples. So God, we plead with you, change our hearts and teach us to love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well then, have a blessed Maundy Thursday. Do spend time quietly in reflection as you think about how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and how then he commands all of us to love one another. And then on Friday, once again, do come for the Good Friday service. And then we'll have the Easter, the Resurrection service on Sunday. Times are the same. Chinese, 9 o'clock. English, 11 o'clock. Well then, God bless you. And goodbye.